Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. And before we start, if you have any feedback or thoughts about our podcast, feel free to email us at contact at lastweekin.ai. We'd love to hear from you. And I am Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your other host, Andrei Kurenkov. And just to give you a preview, this week we'll be talking about using AI to help stop illegal phishing and to decipher ancient languages. We'll be talking about advancements in Nerf and using DeepMind's Mu Zero for compression. We'll talk about how MoviePass now wants to track your eyes to make sure you watch ads talk about uh, AI-run interviews, and then finish with some fun stories about uh, people creating fun images and things with AI. So let's uh, dive straight in with our applications and business stories. Uh, starting up with this AI is set to help stop illegal, illegal phishing. So, uh, as this article covers, there's a lot of issues with illegal, unreported, and unregulated, uh, acronized as IUU, phishing, and it's it's a major crisis. And so there are these dark vessels that are hiding from view, basically, and are sort of, I guess, basically pirate vessels that just fish illegally. And this article covers how people at the Ellen Institute for AI used uh, AI technology to train a model that could use satellite data to detect these dark vessels. Uh, and this was a whole competition. Apparently, there was uh, this XView free challenge. And uh, they, yeah, uh, this team's algorithm finished fourth and uh, first in the US. So yeah, kind of a, a neat and, and different application of AI and just goes to showcase that AI really is in some sense usable for many, many things, right? Universal technology. Right, uh, I've seen similar work before and I've also looked at satellite imagery and if you look at some of the satellite imagery uh, from this article, you'll see, you know, you can actually discern the boats with your eyes, uh, though the type of uh, ship is is a little bit more challenging. Uh, but the AI algorithms are are starting to be able to do that. And uh, what's you know really impressive with these quote unquote dark vessels is is being able to identify when something is doing illicit activities versus versus doing something that is that is legal. So yeah, this is really good work uh, in in a cool direction. Yeah, it's it's also interesting because it is cross-disciplinary. So this article makes the note that within AI2, this was a collaboration between the computer vision research and uh, they collaborated with conservation experts, right? And it speaks to kind of these intersections that will be needed. As we've already discussed in the past, this is happening with AI and climate change in a sort of similar 
way maybe and you know that's really exciting to see yeah it's very similar in the way uh, you work with satellite imagery satellite imagery will take a certain type of it's not your average image uh, like image net uh, the way you have to wrangle with it um and on to our next article, uh, an ancient language has defied translation for 100 years. Can AI crack the code? And this article is about AI to decipher ancient languages like Ugaritic and Linear B and also the Indus script. Uh, and it was uh, a very interesting article that kind of went through the history of some of these languages, how people have been deciphering them with, you know, as humans, but then also now applying algorithms to them. And in particular, uh, they looked at, you know, several different languages. Um, and in one, one, you know, one algorithm that they talked about was uh, how they fed the model words in that, in a lost language, as well as words in a known but related language. And the job of the algorithm was to align the words from the lost language with the known language. Uh, and this, this same algorithm, you know, could be applied and generalized to a lot of different language pairs. And so that was really exciting. And there was quote unquote, remarkable accuracy in that uh, they could accurately uh, translate 67.3% of linear B's words into modern day Greek equivalents, which is huge because that only took two or three hours uh, to run, uh, which cuts down, you know, actual years of work of uh, translating these symbols one by one. And, and deciphering them and figuring out what those were. Um, of course, not all languages have this pairing, this, you know, no, a known related language. And so the Indus script is described in this article as, uh, which is a, a collection of, I think, about 4,000 excavated inscriptions. Um, and there are you know, uh, something between 400 and 700 unique symbols. Um, and, you know, there might be even more. Uh, and there have been over 100 attempts to try to um, uh, decipher them since the 1920s. So there's this huge, you know, attempt. And it, it was all these scripts found along the Indus River. So that's why it's called the Indus script. And what ML algorithms are being put to work here is actually interesting. So it's not finding the pairing now. You can't do the reverse engineering like linear B. And instead, it's uh, to see whether one in the Indescript is a language at all. So they actually, you know, kind of did this classification of language or, you know, some other kind of non-linguistic script like DNA or, you know, Beethoven Sonata number 32 and uh, Fortran even. And they just kind of like tried to look at if if this actually was a language and they found, you know, this is actually a language or it's being classified as one. Um, and they uh, also now are looking at, you know, candidates for being like the most similar language of uh, possible related languages uh, to to this indescript. And, and that's where the article ends. So I think it's still, you know, TBD, but there are a lot of different research groups uh, that have been contributing to this line of work. Yeah, this is really interesting, uh, just purely for this like historic lesson, right, about these ancient languages. That's it's really neat to find out. And uh, it, it sort of relates to a previous one, I think, and that this is also showing an intersection of AI that's interdisciplinary here. It's with linguistics, right? And, and sort of more of a humanities area. 
which is also something that I think will be more common. It, it brings to mind that there was a, a person in Japan who studies, um, I think, Japanese calligraphy, classical authorship, and those symbols are kind of hard to decipher and to transcribe. And so this researcher worked on that uh, specifically, developing computer vision for that. So again, it's it's really neat to see sort of beyond the obvious things we all know about AI that it can be a tool in all these settings. One thing I find really interesting about this is that these researchers, you know, people might think, oh, they're just, you know, examining the past and it's about uncovering, you know, secrets of the past and understanding that. And there's some kind of kind of mystique to that, but it's really just about the past. I think these people are lining themselves as possible candidates to decipher alien languages if we ever make contact. That is exactly what I, I was thinking. Super jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I super want to be the arrival linguist. Like they are straight up setting themselves up to be the arrival linguist. Yeah. Or the movie arrival, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did, this did remind me a while ago, we talked, we had a news article about using AI to understand ways and whale language and I was like we need this but for animals I'm gonna talk to my dog have a chat <laughs> maybe one day maybe maybe and on to some talk about research and advancements in AI first up we have an article titled the new CGI creating neural neighborhoods with block nerf uh, so this is about this paper titled Block Nerf Scalable Large Scene Neural View Synthesis. This is from uh, uh, Waymo, I believe. And uh, so it's about this variant of something called NERF, Neural Radiance Fields. And to summarize it very shortly, Neural Radiance Fields are kind of AI-trained uh, renderers of 3D scenes. So given a bunch of images of something, they can then render it from different viewpoints, uh, similar to how you would have in a CG computer graphics engine. And this has been an area that's seen a lot of excitement uh, in the last two years. Uh, NERF was introduced early 2020, and since then there's been hundreds of papers. And one challenge with these NERF techniques is that they are typically optimized for just one object or like a small scene. And they produce really clean and cool looking results, but they're not really scalable too much. And so this paper was very cool and exciting to see because you they showed that you could have something like Nerf work for a much larger scene, this like set of blocks. Uh, I think in San Francisco, they collected 2.8 million images, and uh, that was enough to render an entire neighborhood of San Francisco. Basically, they just stitched together different individual nerfs, uh, but there's some of these tricks in this paper, and yeah, it's it's really cool. The videos we have are quite impressive. It's really impressive, and it kind of gets at this idea of real to sim. Uh, basically, we have all these, you know, real images of the world and now we can stitch it together and it's a complete, you know, 3D world in 
not exactly simulation, but essentially, you know, that model. uh, And now they can use it for for self-driving, obviously, for Waymo. Yeah, to give a bit of a idea here, also imagine how you have Google Street View and Google Maps, right? Then you can jump in in the first person and jump between viewpoints. Well, now it's like that, but you can just fly around. There's no like spots where photos are taken. It's just a full rendering of an environment. So, yeah, definitely a, a pretty big step for the technology and um, really fun videos to look at. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a lot of Twitter hype, I believe. <laughs> yeah, deserved hype, I'd say. And on to our next article uh, from DeepMind, Mu Zero's first step from research into the real world. Uh, so this is about their model Mu Zero uh, being applied to actual something in the real world, which is video compression. And they specifically applied it to YouTube's live actual traffic. Uh, and they actually demonstrated an average 4% bitrate reduction across a diverse set of videos, which is pretty huge uh, when it comes to video codecs and the ability to compress uh, videos and, you know, increase the speed of, of this kind of uh, transmission and compression process. And they stated that, you know, RL is particularly well suited to, um, <laughs> to sequential decision-making problems, of course, uh, like those in codecs. Uh, so uh, they focus specifically on the VP9 codec and um, they specifically had the model uh, tune these quantization parameters um, to to optimize uh, video compression. And um, what's cool is that this is, again, um, a real world example of uh, a pretty advanced algorithm being being used. And, and specifically, it's RL. So it's kind of exciting that it's working in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's it's this was pretty hyped up as the first kind of useful application of Mu Zero. Uh, famously, DeepMind had uh, AlphaGo, and then uh, they had some of these advancements leading up to Mu Zero, which uh, kind of removed some of the restrictions in AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero. And this is yeah the first time that it's actually been used for anything aside from like winning in games, something that's useful. Um, and yeah, they claim that, you know, they actually ended up improving the uh, bitrate by an average of 4%, which was something like YouTube is, is uh, you know, crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know, this is interesting. I feel like AI is a natural um, kind of tool for compression. And uh, I would imagine YouTube probably already uses it, but I don't know. Uh, Specifically, one interesting thing about the algorithm that they did add was around uh, self-competition, meaning they uh, had uh, the agent actually try to compete with historical, the history of itself. um, And that helped uh, the, that helped the performance significantly. Um, so that was, that was one of the, one of the interesting bits, um, that they added in as like a, a way of improving this algorithm that I found really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I do have to wonder whether 
like obviously this is impressive but is this practical like is it gonna run quickly enough to really um justify its use as opposed to one of these uh hand engineered sort of classic um protocols compression systems um certainly you know it's only a matter of time until ai becomes used in this way but i wonder if it's still not quite there yet but definitely still cool uh and exciting to see DeepMind doing yeah we've discussed a lot and they're doing a lot of stuff in real world applications so yet another cool achievement by them Moving on to less cool uses of AI in our society and ethics sections. First up, we have MoviePass 2.0 wants to track your eyeballs to make sure you watch ads. So, you know, not much to unveil about this new story. Basically, the title says it all. Apparently, MoviePass is relaunching and they want to have it be a web-free style applications where you can earn credits to go to the movies by watching ads. And they will Classic. use <laughs> facial recognition and eye tracking to make sure you're actually watching the ads. Um, so this was detailed in this relaunch event on February 10th, just a few days ago. And yes, there's <laughs> even more to this, you know, web free, there's going to be a wallet, there's going to be play to earn. I don't know if there's, uh, looks like they'll have some sort of virtual currency. I don't know if it'll be blockchain, but I don't know. I, I, I was, was big on Reddit and I'm pretty sure this is a failure out of the gate. I have no idea how this seemed like a good idea. <laughs> I don't know if you can. But it's Web3, Andre. Come on. It's the future. Watch ads make money. You know, who doesn't want that? There are actually apps out there where you can watch ads and just make money. And not a lot of money, but th that's literally it. That's well, yeah, I, I, suppose I have like a tab extension where every time I open my tab, it shows me an ad and then I can donate money. So I can sort of. See? But like facial recognition and eye tracking, I think that's a little too far for most people. Just don't say it, you know, just like hide it inside the app. This guy was like advertising it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, this this we'll see how this comeback goes, you know. It is uh questionable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, there's some interesting quotes here. Um, like it's, it's saying if, as I'm looking at it, it's playing back, but if I stop, I'm not paying attention to it. It actually pauses, which is not terrible, but there is definitely some of these like hype things, which is a little unrealistic. Like this is a way that advertisers get the impact you're looking for, but you're also getting the impact yourself. <laughs> I don't think there's any way to, uh, <laughs> say this is a good thing for you. I mean, sadly, uh, I feel like the metaverse might be full of this, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, some of these Black Mirror episodes come into life in these, you know. That's a good point. You know, this is kind of silly and I'm pretty sure it's not going to go far, but 
it is a bit of a preview of things we might actually see as far as face tracking and eye tracking and all these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And on to our next article where automated job interviews fall short. Uh, so this article is uh, from Harvard Business Review, and it's about how uh, a lot of companies are starting to use uh, these automated you know, video interview platforms uh, to interview candidates and take videos of candidates uh, for screening and automatically screening them without necessarily a human there to interview the candidate. Uh, and the study talks about how, you know, there are some issues with this that people have been citing, especially around gender bias uh, and also racial bias uh, and um, using facial recognition, of course, is, is being very key here and in detecting emotions. Now, something I found actually quite interesting was it, the site. I mean, the, the study talks a lot about, you know, the negative parts of of the software, which uh, I, I don't think are very surprising. Um, but I think there was actually an interesting thing tidbit that seemed almost positive, And it was that many had also, quote, expressed the belief that the objectivity embedded in AI technology is superior to subjective human decision making. And as a result, job seekers saw their change behavior as an inevitable part of the recruitment experience. So they changed their behavior a lot um, to adjust for, you know, interacting with an AI as opposed to a human. And then secondly, they also thought, you know, if they weren't actually given uh, an offer, they thought it was actually because of their own personal characteristics and not because the technology was biased or underdeveloped and stuff. Um, and so I think on the one hand, uh, this is obviously bad because if the technology is biased and people don't think it's biased, but they think it's their own fault, then, then that's, that's the mismatch. Um, but I think on the other hand, it also does kind of note how people feel towards the technology and how the technology can make them feel like this experience is more objective uh, as opposed to subjective with a human. I can definitely see that happening. So I, I think there is a silver lining uh, to to the gray cloud that this uh, article presents. Yeah, yeah, this, I agree, is pretty interesting that overall people had sort of positive outlook on the prospect of AI being used to interview. And, I mean, it's true that presumably interviewers, you know, human recruiters also have maybe... Um, also have human biases and also have sort of individual distinctions. So at least AI systems would be more consistent. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see a future where AI evaluation is used as part of a process. And this actually reminds me last week, we talked about the Algorithmic Accountability Act, which would enforce uh, companies using systems like this to have them be audited by the FTC. And I, yeah, it, more and more I'm starting to think that there are these potentially good applications that can go wrong and having something like the Algorithmic Accountability Act is, you know, definitely a positive, you know, may not solve all the issues, but I would be more confident with this sort of experimentation 
if there was kind of a requirement for auditing to make sure they're not really doing too much harm. Right. But uh, on from those serious topics, we are going to finish up with our fun and neat articles, starting with Mad Scientist Forces AI to Make Horrific Pictures Out of BuzzFeed Headlines. So this article is basically just showing some tweets. <laughs> there, there is this generative artist, Somni, on Twitter, and he got into exchange with someone. Someone was like, I need to investigate how well Clip, Clip, we've already talked in the past about how you can use Vicugan Clip to, to generate images from text. And so someone was like, let's do this with BuzzFeed headlines. And this uh, artist, Somni, did that. And so they generated images for how I cooked 20 pounds of cabbage. <laughs> uh, people are freaking out over this pink mac and cheese that Kraft is releasing for Valentine's Day. And my favorite, uh, Grimes just gave her and Elon Musk's baby a haircut, and the result <laughs> is very interesting. Uh <laughs> And yeah, as you can imagine, there's some AI weirdness uh, going on. Although, to be honest, these are fairly plausible. Uh, you know, they're not. I could see some of these having uh, some uh, similarity to reality. They look pretty ridiculous, and they definitely look AI generated. But you know, you see Grimes there, or the the Grimes baby look there. You really do see it, and the, of course, the mac and cheese you see as well. So you see um, the pink mac and cheese. Yes, yes. I think it was a funny idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I looked up this uh, artist Somni, and you know, started following them on Twitter. So. You know, if nothing else, Twitter is a place to follow artists that do need things with AI. And that's one of the things that I did have gotten out of it over the last few years. Right, right. And on to our last article. Artist uses AI to perfectly fake 70s science fiction pulp covers, artwork and titles. So an artist uh, did use uh, generative models to make these um, 70s sci-fi pulp uh, covers. Uh, and uh, they use, you know, both GBD3 uh, for the words and also a clip-guided diffusion model for the actual image. Uh, and so it's funny, they look they look very realistic, I think, um, to me, because I, I don't I don't follow the space as much. Um, I don't know what you think, but it's funny. The article has a playful tone to it and pretty much just mentions, you know, see how many of your friends will pretend to have heard of, you know, Nytiri A. Quartich's pioneering tomb tome green glass is the color of the wind and you know it's just um, it's very playful so uh, this was a, a fun quick article to read yeah yeah it's likewise fun i think a lot of it is because this artist uh lewis hackett added typography uh by hand so the titles look very accurate and yeah, I, I've seen more of this genre and i think it captures the overall spirit of it 
you know, the content is not quite as smooth, you know, doesn't often look right, but it has the overall aesthetic quality, which is, I guess, uh, what's important. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. If you know this kind of genre of 70s uh, science fiction cover, we'll have the link in the description. Uh, check it out. It's pretty fun to browse. Okay, so that's it for this week's episode. Once again, as you mentioned, uh, feel free to let us know any thoughts you have, uh, any replies, any suggestions at our email at contact at lastweekin.ai. But aside from that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And again, you can find the articles we discussed here today and other ones at our newsletter at lastweekin.ai. Woo! Be sure to tune in next week. And of course, give us a rating. Of give course. Give us a rating. Give us a rating. <laughs> <laughs> All right.